Hey, it's Tony from Adafruit, and this is part four in the Raspberry Pi Cat Laser 2.0 project. Uh, and so there's been a little bit of hiatus uh, about a week since the last video. So I was out at the Hackers on Planet Earth conference last week. Uh, so no video last week, but we're getting right back to it now and doing part four in this series. So if you haven't seen it, I'll put a link in the description below so that you can see the previous videos. There've been three videos. And what we're doing is we're rebuilding the Cat Laser Toy Project, which is a laser that you can control through a web page. So just by clicking on a video stream, it's kind of showing where the laser is pointing. You can direct the laser around. The idea being you can play with a cat. So if you have your cat and you know maybe you're on vacation, you're out at like the next hacker conference or whatever, uh, you can open up a web page and start playing with your cat. That was the original project, at least, was like making a little cat laser toy that you can control over a web page. And then I've come back to it now, and in this series, we're taking it to the cloud, or basically I'm making, I'm remaking the project so that it can be controlled by lots of people over the internet. So it's a neat kind of fusion of hardware and cloud services and kind of trying to explore this area that I, I actually don't see a lot of people uh, playing around with, you know, this kind of interesting setup of, you know, using different services in the cloud and like building them yourself, obviously, and then having those talk to hardware that's running on like a little Raspberry Pi. So that's what I'm hoping to do in this series. And in the previous videos, so the first video, we set up the hardware and just looked at like what are the components, like the servos, uh, the servo controller, the laser diode, using a transistor to turn it on and off, that type of stuff. The second video, we took the original cat laser project and just got it running again. So you can control the laser over a web page. And then the third video, I started to explore how I'm splitting this apart because there's one half of this that runs on the Raspberry Pi and controls the laser. So it takes commands that say, okay, move the laser to this position or you know, move the laser to that position. And then the other half of it runs on a cloud server somewhere. And for now I'm running it on a little virtual machine on my uh, Mac or you know any dev environment. I'm using Vagrant and VirtualBox. Go back to the third video. I explain how to do all that stuff uh, to see how to use those tools but I'm running a virtual machine that's gonna be my cloud server. So eventually this could be on like Amazon Web Services or Azure, any of these providers that give you a Linux machine in the cloud effectively. Uh, and so the software that's gonna run on that is a version of the server that lets you control the cat laser, but it's gonna have a little bit more logic. So it's gonna do things like, you know, have a queue of people that are waiting to play because obviously only one person can really play with the cat laser at a time. Uh, and so it'll give people like a limited amount of time, you know, maybe 30 seconds or a minute or something like that, that they can play with a laser. And it's got to use like two-way communication. So I'm going to use like WebSockets or similar technology so that, you know, as you're clicking on the uh, image of where to direct the laser, you know, it's very quickly sending a message back to the server. Or if the server has some state that it needs to update on the web page, like how many seconds you have left to play or like what position you are in the queue, you know, it's pushing that data back up to the web page so that it can quickly render it. So in this video, I'm gonna start, I, I think there's probably one more video left in the series. I think this will be like a five part video series. So in this fourth video, I'm gonna start building that cloud server component now. So I just wanna do a basic cloud server that lets multiple people control the cat laser. Uh, and so if you remember in the last video, in the part three video, 
I showed how to you know, split things apart, create this cloud server, run an MQTT broker on the cloud server, and then on the Raspberry Pi, connect to that broker and listen for laser control commands. So if I wanna control the laser, I just need to send a message to that MQTT broker on the cloud server. And then that can say, okay, point the laser at position you know, 10, 20 or something like that. It's an XY position uh, that you click on the screen. Uh, so that was kind of the basic work of you know how this is going to work. So in this video now, I'm going to build a web service using Flask and Socket.io, which I've talked about in previous videos, but I'll explain a little bit more about those. So using that technology, I'll build a little web service that runs on the cloud server, and it gives a similar view as the original Cat Laser project. So it's going to show you you know the view of the camera and the targeting. And then when you click to move the laser, it's actually going to use that MQTT broker and send out a target message so that anyone that connects to this cloud server will get the same targeting experience. And then I'm gonna go a little bit further and actually look at, you know, let's start implementing like a time limit. So you connect to it, you get like 30 seconds to play with the cat laser. It's gonna count down and, you know, warn you, okay, you've got 10 seconds left to play. And as you have play time, you know, you can click around and move the laser. And then when your play time is done, like you can't move the laser uh, around anymore. So that's the goal in this project. And we'll start kind of simple and we'll just kind of build up from that and see if we can do this all in maybe roughly an hour or so. And then the next video, I think part five is where hopefully I'm gonna kind of bring it all together. We'll move from the virtual machine to a real cloud server, probably in like Amazon Web Services or something like that. It really doesn't matter where it's at, just as long as it's a Linux machine, uh, an Ubuntu machine in the cloud. But we'll actually move this you know, into a, a server that I could access from anywhere and I could maybe open it up. We'll see if, uh, if uh, my cat's playful enough to play with the cat laser. So let's just dive in. We'll go to the main view here and we'll see uh, what I've got set up. So here's the main view and you can see uh, in the upper left corner here, same setup I've had in the previous video. So we've got the little uh, pan tilt servo arm with a laser diode connected to it. Raspberry Pi 3 right here with the Pi camera right here and a little helping hand that's holding it. Uh, and then over here is uh, just the little Pi GPIO cable that makes it easier to connect. And this is the uh, servo driver, the PCA9685 servo driver. Real nice little servo driver you can use with the Raspberry Pi. Go back to the first video. I talk all about that and show you how to hook it up. And there's a transistor back here that lets you turn the, the laser diode on and off, which I haven't actually implemented in the code yet, but maybe we'll get around to that in this video. Uh, and then also a quick little programming note. I started to put the code for the first few parts up on GitHub. I'll put a link below in the description when this goes up on YouTube so that you can go and check this out. Uh, so I put links to the videos themselves over here. And then like in part one, there really isn't much code. I showed how to set up MJPEG streamer, which uses the little Pi camera right here and exposes it as a motion JPEG stream. Um, so go check that out to, to learn more about setting that up. Part two gets into running the original cat laser code. Uh, and you can see I, I separate this out so that in each part, I have a Raspberry Pi folder. So that's code and instructions specific to running on the Raspberry Pi. Because remember, there are two parts to this series part of it that runs on the Pi and the other part that runs in your cloud server. So I'm trying to make that a really clear distinction of here's the code that runs on your server versus here's what runs on your Raspberry Pi. But on the Pi in part two, laser server, this is the old code for the Raspberry Pi cat laser. And I tried to give enough instructions here to kind of get started with it and start running it um, again. And again, it's also got the MJPEG streamer set up in here. So, you know, it's just, I'm building on this as we go. 
part three, this is from the last video. Now you see there's a cloud server directory. This has a vagrant file, uh, which is the virtual machine configuration. So this sets up this little virtual machine. And then inside that virtual machine, you can run this MJPEG proxy tool. So go back to part three if you aren't familiar with that. This is a tool that lets you do like a reverse proxy of an MJPEG stream. And it's smart. And the, the idea is, uh, your server will make one connection to your Raspberry Pi to pull down this video stream. And then from that connection, uh, it can fan it out to however many people connect to your server because it's a bottleneck if, you know, 100 people connect to your server and if all 100 of those people have to go and grab that video stream from your Raspberry Pi, there's no way your Raspberry Pi can serve that many users. But if you get a big enough server in the cloud, like Amazon will happily let you rent, you know, like a... I don't know, 16 core Xeon with a giant GPU, which hopefully you don't need for this. Uh, but you know, even just like a four, like a quad core server, I'm sure can handle you know plenty of load for this. Uh, but that's nice in that you know suddenly the Pi is not the bottleneck. You know, we're smart about doing these connections. And unfortunately, this MJPEG proxy tool, it's a Node.js library that you can use to, uh, to build a little tool, is really the only tool I've ever found to do this. Uh, if you try to use Nginx or uh, Haproxy, or I think, I think it's called Haproxy, you know, some of these other reverse proxy tools like big, heavyweight, like proper, fancy, you know, uh, tools, they don't actually do this. They'll, uh, they, they don't reverse proxy MJPEG at least because it's like a dynamic stream. They don't know how to cache it. So you really do want to use this tool. I'll go back to the third video and I explain how to use it and set it up. So, okay, so that's some setup. Uh, just kind of, you know, here I've got the code up and, and ready to go. Also, another little note, as I was setting this up, I noticed a little bit of a bug uh, because we're kind of on the bleeding edge. So in the previous video, I set up my cloud server using a Vagrant virtual box and I used uh, Ubuntu 16.04 LTS, which is pretty new. Like it literally just came out, I think two or three months ago. Uh, and unfortunately you use the bleeding edge stuff, you're gonna run into the bugs. Uh, and with the current uh, Ubuntu 16.04, 64-bit image, it doesn't set up this synced folder because in Vagrant, normally it will let you sync files between your host PC that's running the virtual machine and the actual virtual machine or the guest machine. And it'll magically copy files in between there so that like if you're working on a web service, you can edit it on your local machine and then it copies it over to your, uh, to your virtual machine. Unfortunately, that's totally broken in the current Ubuntu 16.04 LTS version. I'll put a link to the bug here. Luckily, there's a workaround. So if you scroll down, and this is being fixed. If you go all the way down to the end of the bug, they've got a fix. It's coming in to like the next version of this uh, cloud image. So hopefully in a month or two, if you're grabbing this and starting fresh, it will just work. But if you don't see this slash vagrant shared folder, here's what you need to do to fix it. So go down in this thread to uh, David Butler's reply right here. Really helpful reply. Uh, what you need to do is run this apt-get install virtual box guest utils inside of your virtual machine. And then you need to edit your Vagrant configuration, your Vagrant file, and add this line right here. I'll, I'll show you that in a second. And then reload the whole box. Uh, so I'll, I'll just show you that. Um, 
basically right here I'm connected to my cloud server. So this is a little Ubuntu machine right here. Um, you know, you can see this is running Linux. Obviously I'm on Mac OS 10, so this, you know, you hopefully wouldn't see a Linux kernel uh, running on a Mac OS 10. But I'm in this machine. Uh, now you can see if I go to this Vagrant folder inside of my little Linux machine, this is actually showing me the files that are on my Macintosh. And if I open up Finder, I'll show you real fast uh, where this thing is at. So this is in my Documents and my Cat Laser Cloud Server folder here. Uh, so if I go here, let's see, we'll move this over. So you can see this is in this folder. I have this log file and this Vagrant file, which you can see exactly here in the Linux machine. So the cool thing is if I copy any files, if I edit any files in here on my Macintosh, they'll just automatically sync over to the Linux machine over here. So it makes it really easy to start editing files on here. Uh, the problem is this doesn't happen because of this bug. So the way to fix this, um, you're gonna exit out of your virtual machine and you wanna halt it. So run the Vagrant halt, like make sure it stops. Uh, oh, sorry, Ooh, before it halts, there's actually a command you want to run. So uh, we'll Vagrant up it real fast and I'll show you that command. So you need to install this VirtualBox guest utility package. Um, I guess that was part of the bug. Uh, so I'm going to run the virtual machine again. The Vagrant up command starts back up. It's pretty quick. It takes a second. Uh, but it, apparently there's a bug where the config for this cloud image just didn't include these packages. Um, so it's an easy fix. You just have to apt-get install the package and then add this little configuration to it. So we're just waiting for a second for this to boot. I guess while it boots, I'll show you um, if we go back to, oops, let me close this. That's actually some code we'll look at later. Um, okay, so this is actually that uh, Vagrant folder or that, that synced folder that we were looking at. I just have it open in my text editor. Here's the Vagrant file that's the configuration for your virtual machine. So to fix this bug, you need to uh, add this line right here. So in, in this part, they're talking about how you can sync additional folders. So add a line that looks like this, where you're basically syncing the current folder that this Vagrant file lives inside of on, the, on your host PC into the slash Vagrant location in your virtual machine. Uh, and normally Vagrant does this for you automatically, but again, there's this bug, you have to work around it. So you wanna add this line and save your Vagrant file. Um, and then in a second here, once it finishes booting up the VM, um, you'll wanna go into your VM and we're gonna run this little command uh, that he mentioned here, basically apt-get install VirtualBox guest utils. Uh, and so that's going to give you this package that um, I guess uh, it's it's some kind of integration where the Linux machine can realize it's a virtual machine and can do some special things, you know, like transfer files, I assume. So I don't know a lot about these VirtualBox add-ons, but they're always a pain because whenever they update, they're like, they'll break inevitably. So anyways, okay, so we can get back into my box. So we'll SSH into it. And then real fast, I'll just show you, you know, we're gonna run this command and I've run it ahead of time, so it's not gonna do anything for me, but I just wanna show you what to run. So we're gonna paste this in, apt-get install, VirtualBox guest utils. Uh, the dash Y option says, you know, install it. Don't ask me because it always asks. All right, so it's already installed for, whoops. It's already installed for me, newest version, so that's fine. Okay, so I'm gonna exit out. And then remember, I edited my Vagrant file um, ahead of time here. So I added this little synced folder path 
And then because my VM is already running, what I can do to make it reload these changes is run the vagrant reload command. And so this will shut down the virtual machine and then start it back up. But now it's going to use this changed configuration right here. So you'll actually see, because I already had this config in here, you'll see this line up here, like when it starts up, it's mounting this shared folder. And so it's showing you that the slash vagrant path on the virtual machine is actually going to point to this, you know, cloud server folder that I have on my uh, Macintosh here. So luckily there's a workaround. I was a little worried that I might have to go back to an older version of Ubuntu, which honestly wouldn't matter. I'm not using anything fancy here that depends on the latest Ubuntu, but I figured might as well use, you know, 16.04, the, the latest one. I have had a lot more trouble with 16.04 than uh, the last like 14.04 LTS release. So I don't know, they're, I guess they're moving fast and breaking more things in the Ubuntu world, but I, I tried to load it on a laptop and Lots of things are broken with it. So, although laptops and Linux are always uh, a little bit of, uh, uh, you need a lot of patience to deal with those, or at least use laptop uh, hardware that's like 20 years old, in which case it's very well understood and, and well known. Um, okay, so it just takes it a second here to boot up. It's going to do its thing. It's mounted its shared folder, so we're all good. Now we'll SSH into our box here. Okay, cool. So now the next step, uh, what I was thinking, let's kind of dive in and let's start doing some things, you know, on our cloud server here. So maybe real fast, I'll just show you where we left things with the last video. So if you remember on the last video, uh, now this is my Raspberry Pi I'm connected to. And so I'm gonna go in and we're just gonna run uh, the laser driver. So if I go into the Raspberry Pi part of this code, uh, there's this laser driver inside of here. And remember, this was the script that we ran, and I can actually show you this. This uh, this IDE is connected to my Raspberry Pi, so these are all the files on my Pi. And inside of laser driver, you can see this driver.py. This is the code that talks to an MQTT server or a broker and listens for laser target commands and then move the laser around. And so my cloud server is running that MQTT broker. Remember, in the last video, we installed uh, Mosquito as the service, and I think systemd runs it. So if I run systemctl status mosquito.service, yeah, there you go. So you can see my broker's running. We didn't do any special configuration. It's like, it's wide open. It's not secure right now, but next video, I think we're gonna have to secure it when we take it to the cloud. Uh, anyways though, so it's running Mosquito Broker, and then this laser driver will connect to that. And so it needs to know to connect to my iMac because that's what's running my virtual machine. Uh, and it's gonna listen on this topic, Cat Laser Target, and it's gonna listen for an X and a Y position, so like where you clicked on the uh, the screen. And then it's gonna convert that into like a servo position. Uh, so let's just run, we'll go back to my Raspberry Pi, and let's run the laser driver. So we'll run uh, driver.py, and you can see it connected to my MQTT broker, so that's running on my cloud server. Uh, and I'm gonna go back to my cloud server, and now if I use the mosquito pub command, because this will send an MQTT message, and if I send it on the cat laser uh, slash target topic, and this dash T option says which target I want for this mosquito publish command. I did this in the last video, so go back if you haven't seen this before. Uh, so, you know, this matches this target name or this uh, topic name here. And then the payload that I want to send with the dash M option is just a string that's like the X and Y positions, like 200 comma 200. <clears throat> should move this roughly in the center because it, this is the X position which goes from zero to 640. And then the Y position is the second one which goes from zero to 480 because it's a 640 by 480 uh, video stream here. So if I run this, 
then notice the laser just moved. And you know, if I move this to like, you know, position maybe 400, then, you know, laser moves again like that. So this is good. It's showing us that, you know, our broker's still working. So if anything on my cloud server here does a similar thing as this Mosquito Publish, so if like a web app that's running on my, um, my cloud server talks to the MQTT broker that's running there, it can control the cat laser, uh, which is pretty cool because my web app doesn't need to know how to connect to my Raspberry Pi. And in fact, my web app couldn't even connect to it if it wanted to directly because the Pi is on my local network and my router would have to be configured to forward the ports and all of this fun. So that's the nice thing about using MQTT. My Pi can connect out to an MQTT broker. I don't need to do any crazy NAT or router config. You know, basically it's gonna to connect to the broker. Anything else can connect to the broker, like a web app or a tool or something. And, you know, it can start sending messages that will get routed down to the Raspberry Pi. Uh, so that's really powerful. You know, it kind of decouples the web app from uh, the actual laser control here. Like the web app just needs to know how to connect to a broker and send these targeting messages. Uh, and so that's what I wanna do now. I wanna start building this web app and you know, making a little interface that lets people play for like 20 or 30 seconds at a time and just send these control messages down uh, to my machine here. So, so let's kind of get started. We'll just kind of dive into this um, on my cloud server now. So let's see, I'm gonna minimize this because this is all the code that's on my Raspberry Pi and we're not gonna do much on the Raspberry Pi right now. We're gonna come back to it. Um, so let's go back. And one little setup actually that I wanted to do uh, on my cloud server. So if I go back to my cloud server, remember in the last videos, we set up this MJPEG proxy tool. So let's go back into that MJPEG proxy directory and let's run this. So remember, this is the thing that will connect to my Raspberry Pi and then start proxying out the video stream that it, that it has for it. So uh, the way to run this, go back to the uh, uh, the last video, the third part, I showed how to create this, now to run this. I just need to run this using Node.js. So let's run this uh, Node MJPEG proxy. I'm gonna run it in the background by adding this ampersand at the end. Uh, so this is going and it's running it under this process ID. Uh, so I can come back later and kill it. Uh, maybe we'll get to it, but I was thinking I'll create a systemd service to just like the MJPEG uh, streamer tool on the Raspberry Pi. Uh, you know, I should make a systemd service that automatically runs my MJPEG proxy tool on my cloud server. And luckily Ubuntu 16.04, it uses systemd just like Debian. So the exact same kind of services you can create and run very easily here. For now, I'm just gonna run it manually in the background. Now I can check that this is working um, because if I connect to localhost 8080, uh, uh, oops, not 8050, 8080, and then slash index1.jpg, then now you can see here is the video stream. And so if I hold my hand in front of here, you know, it's, it's nice, fast updating, 30 frames per second, you know, very quick video, uh, exactly what I want being served up by, even though this says localhost, remember in the last video, uh, you have to set up your Vagrant virtual machine to do some port forwarding so that anything I access on my Macintosh, which is localhost right now, is forwarded to my virtual machine because my virtual machine doesn't have an IP address. It's not, at least it's not on my network like my Raspberry Pi is. So that's, you know, a little bit of a weird thing. And once we take this out to a real cloud server, we won't have to do all this junk. It'll be a little bit simpler. 
Uh, but anyways, you know, the important thing is that my cloud server here is hosting that MJPEG stream. And so I can have a web page running on my cloud server that's serving up that MJPEG stream, and it's not putting a ton of load on my Raspberry Pi. You know, there's only one connection going to the Pi for that. Okay, cool. So that's set up. So now let's go into that Vagrant directory in my virtual machine. Uh, and, you know, remember, this is where you can kind of copy files in between the two systems. And I'm going to go here just so that, you know, I can start creating this web app and, uh, you know, it'll be easier to, to sync the files around. Now, to start with, I was thinking, let's just take the, um, the old cat laser code as a base and we'll start extending that and start playing with, you know, how to add more to it. So I'm going to go and I'm going to copy real quick. I'm just going to grab the files over here. Um, I'm going to copy these from my Pi over to my uh, Vagrant machine. So let me find these real fast. Let's see, that's yeah, in the repositories and we go down to part four and I wanna get my laser server, there we go. So I, this is kind of the, the bootstrap or the basics of a Flask application, which, you know, since I already have a Flask application I wrote originally, I'm gonna start with it just so I don't have to do everything from scratch again. Uh, okay, so let's go back then to my Vagrant location in the documents here. And that is in this folder. There we go. And if I copy that in, then that should give us all the files. Okay, cool. So now if I look at the files in here, now you see there's a laser server directory. So if I go in there, and this has all the Python code for the laser server. Uh, and then I do need to uh, make sure that I have Python 3 installed on this Ubuntu machine. So uh, just like on the Raspberry Pi, so you wanna do sudo apt-get, uh, oops, apt-get install. Python 3, Python 3 dash pip, Python 3 dash um, dev. So you usually want this. The dash dev one gives you the headers you need to build Python extensions. So let's run these and uh, this will probably take it a second. Oh, it's already got Python 3, that's good. I remember Ubuntu 16.04, they've, uh, they've made the switch quote unquote to Python 3. You know, when you run Python, you still get Python 2.6 or 2.7 actually these days. Um, but it comes with Python 3 by default, which is a step in the right direction because Python 3 is, you know, what we're trying to move to uh, these days. So, okay, let's take just a few seconds. It's just downloading uh, a few of these things that we need to make sure that we have Python 3 installed. Uh, and so we'll give this a second here. And luckily this is quick uh, because it's a little virtual machine. It's usually faster than your Raspberry Pi because you've got more CPU horsepower to throw at it. Um, so this takes it a second here. And then once this is installed, uh, we need to install the Flask web framework. Uh, and so I'll show you how to do that. And it's uh, very straightforward. And like I mentioned before, we're gonna use uh, Flask socket IO. And so I've actually done a previous video on this. Um, I'm trying to remember which one it was. I'll have to go back and see, and I'll put a link in the description below. Uh, but Socket.io is a really cool technology that lets you do two-way communication between a web page. Because normally when you access a web page, like when I just went to this web page right here, you know, this is my browser going to the server and downloading a web page, uh, like asking the server, you know, give me this web page. Uh, but you don't usually have a lot of cases of like the server pushing data proactively. You know, it's not like the Flask web page knew I was going to access it and like sent it down to me before I could even access it. 
Um, so, you know, normally you don't have that kind of two-way communication of both you getting data and the server pushing you data. But Socket.io is a really cool thing that lets you do that using either web sockets or some of these web technologies like long polling. The cool thing is you don't have to know how this stuff works. It's really easy to use it. Uh, and so we'll come back to using this. Okay, so it installed Python 3. And then once Python 3 and pip is installed, I need to install um, a few packages. So sudo pip3 install flask and flask-socket.io. So those are the, the two little web frameworks that I'm going to need to uh, do this. Um, and oh, maybe I shouldn't have used sudo to do that. Uh, it's always a bit of a pain. I guess they're kind of fixing some of this. You know, nowadays you're not supposed to run uh, pip with sudo. In the past, you kind of had to. I think you still have to on Ubuntu. Um, you know, it's it's a bit of a mess in some ways, but I, I run with sudo just to make sure that I get things installed globally and it should be okay. Okay, cool. So we've got Flask installed. Uh, and now let's see. So let's go back to the code here. So this is the code uh, that's on my cloud server. You can see here's that laser server directory here. Uh, and so let's start just pulling out some of the stuff that we don't need. And in fact, let's rename this. So let's go back up a directory and let's uh, rename this from laser server to, um, how about like cloud laser server? <laughs> Maybe not the best name in the world, but I wanna make a distinction between the laser server that you could run on the Raspberry Pi versus the one that we're gonna run on this cloud server here. So, you know, I just wanna be explicit about that. Um, okay, so then inside of here, and so it just picked up that change, luckily. Uh, this is then just like a typical Flask web application. You have a templates folder, you know, where you can put templates that are rendered, like a main HTML, static resources like JavaScript and, you know, uh, CSS files can go in here. Uh, and then the server.py, this is the actual Flask application here. And this was all specific to, you know, talking to the servo controller connected to the Raspberry Pi. So none of that's gonna apply here. So I'm just gonna start ripping out a bunch of code from here. Um, you know, this model I'm not gonna have because this model class is made to talk to the servo driver, which isn't gonna exist here. You know, this model is gonna be replaced with sending an MQTT message basically. So, you know, we're gonna rip this out. Um, I guess we can keep debug equals true. This is kind of how you uh, run like Flask applications. Uh, and then this stuff doesn't apply. This is how we configure the servos. All of this is in the laser driver that runs on the Raspberry Pi. So I don't need this anymore. Uh, the Flask initialization, sure, we'll keep that. That seems fine. The servo stuff, none of this applies. The model stuff, none of this applies. Uh, this applies, this is your basic route. So when you access you know, the, the main page of the website, it's gonna render the main.html file, uh, but it's gonna pass it in the model as like a, uh, uh, a bit of like template data, which we don't have anymore, so we're just gonna delete that. Uh, let's delete everything else though. So these are all these routes that like basically the way this worked, it made a bunch of a uh, little like a REST API. So if you did a put request against set servos and you gave it an X and Y position, then it would set those locations or there's a target API. None of these things are gonna apply because I'm gonna show you, we're gonna use socket IO to do faster two-way communication so that instead of the web page sending a web request like a post or a put, it's actually gonna use Socket.io, which uses like web sockets or long polling to just very quickly send a little message that says, you know, hey, go target the laser at this position. Uh, so, you know, I'm really just going down to the bare basics of a Flask application for this. So this is gonna render main.html basically. Uh, 
And then let's see, the files inside of here. So we can delete some of these files, um, like the calibration.json, the model, the model tests, the, uh, how about the servos? None of that stuff applies. So let's delete all that just to keep it simple. Yep, move those to trash. Uh, and then, okay, so now for our main web page, let's tweak this a little bit. So, uh, you know, this is just using Bootstrap and making this fancy little web page. The important thing here is that it has the MJPEG video stream. And before, when this ran on the Raspberry Pi, it would give you the address of the video stream from the Raspberry Pi. But now, because this is running on the cloud server, I need to use that MJPEG proxy video stream. Um, and luckily that's really easy. So I can just say um, the, the name of my web server here. Uh, actually, I, I can actually just say, you know, it's port 8080 and it's that slash index1.jpg. Uh, and then the host name here, uh, I'm trying to think because, you know, I wanna use, I, I could put in like, um, localhost, which this is not good. Like, you know, I, I, this is gonna say, okay, only access this from the main web page, uh, or from the, the page that this is being served from. Uh, I'm trying to think though, if I can do this, you know, ideally I could say slash index1.jpg. So now it's gonna reference index1.jpg from the server URL uh, right here. But for now, let's just keep it as localhost 8080 because, you know, I haven't put this in the cloud yet. You know, eventually I, I'm gonna have to replace this with like the actual name of my cloud server so that it's using that. But for now, because this is on localhost, we're gonna keep it this way. But the important thing is that it's gonna be accessed from my little cloud server here. So, uh, and because again, you know, Vagrant is doing that little forwarding. So anything on port 8080 of localhost is actually gonna go to my virtual machine and that's gonna hit that MJPEG proxy. Anyways though, so this is just gonna show the video stream here. Um, I, it has this little div right here because it has all this logic for building this calibration view, which none of that applies to the uh, the cloud server code here because I really just want people to be able to target the, with the laser. I don't want people to be like, calibrating the servos, you know, all of that stuff I did ahead of time using the laser server that runs on the Raspberry Pi. This is really just gonna be like viewing and targeting. So I'm gonna start pulling out a bunch of things. Um, well, actually maybe I should save the calibrate layer because um, I might need it, but I don't know, Let, let's, let's pull it out for now. We can always add it later. Uh, again, I'm kind of flying by the seat of the pants. I, I did some of this ahead of time, but a lot of this I haven't done ahead of time. So this might be a little bit more, you know, learning as we go with this stream. So, okay, and then next to this video, they have, uh, I, I had all these like sliders where you can control, you know, this is the servo position you wanna move to. Again, none of this stuff really applies. Uh, there was this calibrate button, you know, I'm not gonna do any of this in the cloud server. So I'm just gonna rip out all of the, the code for that. So, you know, really all this web page is doing right now is just rendering a view of the MJPEG stream, um, which should be okay. And then, okay, let's see what else is doing here. It's loading up jQuery, um, a JSON parser, which boy, it was three years ago that I wrote this code and I didn't even realize, or maybe at the time they didn't have it, but nowadays jQuery has a JSON parser built into it. So I, you know, and look, look at the version, I'm using jQuery 1.10. Um, I think jQuery is up to version three or something now. So uh, this is a little bit older code, but you know what, it works. I, I, it doesn't really matter. Like this is, this is fine for it to, to use. So, okay, so there's that. And then um, let's see, I'll let it load the rest, the, all of the, the code that it has here. Let's see, 
There's a calibration.js. Let me go back and let's see what I put inside of there because I can't remember exactly what calibration did. So, um, oh, okay, so the way this worked, this is what would overlay the uh, targeting kind of reticle or area. Um, you know what, I'm just gonna delete this because I don't really think I need this. So I'm gonna pull out this reference here. You know, if I don't need it, pull it out. Then the last script block, this is where all the code is that uh, implements like, you know, when you click the buttons to move around this, um, you know, this this is all, all the JavaScript logic. So I'm just gonna rip this out. So we're gonna start fresh here. You know, really, I just wanna check that I can uh, I can load up the page. I guess here we'll, we'll put in some JavaScript. So we'll just do like a console console.log, you know, hello world. Uh, always good just to make sure that, you know, everything's running and, and set up here. Okay, so this is like the bare minimum web page. We're gonna at least see the cat laser stream, uh, which is good enough. That's really all that we probably need to do here uh, for it. And then if I go back to my server, my Flask application here, uh, if I access this default route, it should render my main.html page here. So let's try this then. So in my cloud server, uh, you can see, you know, here's my server.py that we were just editing. And the way to run this, I wanna run Python 3 server.py. This is gonna use Flask. Uh, oh, and then I've got a bug here because I'm trying to import the model. Oh, I didn't save this. So if I save this, there we go. Now I should be able to, to run this. Okay, and so now it's running and it's uh, it's on port 5000, which is gonna be a little bit of a problem because I didn't forward that port yet. So if I try to access localhost port 5000, you'll see I don't get anything here. So let's, what we have to do, I'll hit control C, we gotta cancel onto this exit out of the VM. We're going to edit that vagrant file and we're going to add another little port forward right here. So if I go down and you can see these lines right here are where it forwards the port. So I need to add one for port 5000 because that's uh, the way my Flask server is going to serve this data. So if I copy that and then if I paste it, I can edit it. So I want to forward port 5000 on my guest to port 5000 on my host. I'll save that. And then if I want a vagrant reload, now this is gonna reload the page. And uh, in a second here, or this is gonna reload the, uh, the virtual machine. And so that'll pick up the change that I just made to the, uh, the file there. So we'll give this a second here, it takes a little while. Um, but anyway, so this is the first part. So hopefully when I run this, I should be able to access uh, localhost port 5000 that's gonna hit this default path, should render up main.html, and then inside of main.html, we should hopefully just see my little video stream of the, the cat laser here. So, and I was kind of thinking, so the way that this server is gonna work, uh, the first time you access it, I'm gonna have it serve up this main.html, and I'm gonna consider that like the spectator mode, so that people that aren't playing are in the spectator mode where they're just seeing the video stream. And I think I'll add a button, maybe like right below the, uh, the, the video stream that says play. And when you click that button, it's gonna to go to a different web page that's the play mode. And then once you're in play mode, it's gonna use socket IO to connect to the server and say, okay, I'm ready to play. And the server is gonna say, okay, you're playing now. And it's gonna give you a countdown. Like the server is gonna be pushing, you know, every few seconds or so, here's how many seconds you have left to play. And then if you click and if you target uh, the, with the cat laser on the screen, then that's gonna send a message using socket IO 
to the web app, and then the web app is going to use MQTT to send a message to the Pi, and then the Pi is going to move the servos. So a lot of stuff. We'll see if we can get through it. You know, we're going to kind of uh, see how much we get through here. Okay, so the machine's running again. If I SSH into it, then now we should have those ports forwarded. So if I go back into here, oh, and I'm going to need to run my MJPEG streamer again, or proxy, uh, because, you know, I restarted my virtual machine, so I'm going to run node MJPEG proxy, and I really should make a systemd service for this, but, you know, for now, we're just going to run it in the background. Okay, now let's go back to the Vagrant folder, and then into that cloud laser server, and now let's try running python3 server.py. Okay, so now it's running on port 5000. And now if I access port 5000 on this, hey, look at that. So I've got it. There's my video stream. So, okay, cool. So spectator mode, almost done. Like this is really all, all that I need for spectator mode. Uh, and maybe let's tweak the web page a little bit. So let's say, uh, how about spectator? Just to make it clear. So when I'm viewing this, I know that this is spectator mode that I'm in. Um, and then maybe below this, let's put a button. So we'll say button... Uh, type equals button, uh, oh boy, let's see, I'm trying to remember bootstrap, I need class equals button, button default, I believe, is the CSS class you need, and then uh, let's give it an ID so that I can attach some event handler to it, we'll say this uh, play is the ID, and then we'll give it a title, and it's going to render, so there's that, and then uh, down in the JavaScript code for this, I'm going to use jQuery, and we'll just say, okay, let's grab that play button. So I'm using by the ID, the selector right here, and then the click handler, we should say, is just a function that's going to run. And this function for now, let's just say, uh, you know, you are uh, maybe play mode just so that I can see this button works on uh, this handler. And actually just thinking about it, maybe I don't even need to put some JavaScript in here because really all I need is a URL that's gonna take me to a special play page. But eh, let's just try it, let's just reload it and see. Now if I open up the uh, JavaScript console on here, so you can see here's the play button, M maybe not the prettiest thing in the world. Uh, oh, this is cute. Uh, okay, so I've got some kind of bug in here. So line 36 uh, of here. Oh, so I've got an extra, I'm guessing, yeah, I don't need that semicolon there. That's a mistake. And then I do need uh, a closing uh, parenthesis there. So a little bit of a syntax error. Uh, okay, let's reload the page. There we go. So you can see here's the hello world. So that means that my, uh, my function right here ran. It attached the little click handler. So now when I click the play button right here, you can see play mode. So, okay, so I've got some stuff that can run on here. Okay, so let's make the play mode page now. So I'm actually just gonna copy my main template and let's paste it in here. And then let's rename it as uh, play.html. So if I rename and we'll say play.html. Okay, now in my server, I need to tell it about that route. So let's just make a play mode route. And we'll say, this is, how about slash play? And the cool thing is you can actually do two different routes uh, that go to the same page. So I'm going to make a spectate route that takes me to this main.html. And in fact, let's change it to spectate.html. And then we're also going to use play.html. And so then let's change this 
title here, just because I want to make it really clear that, you know, there are two modes for this web application. There's the spectate mode where you're just viewing the video stream, and then there's the play mode where you're actually starting to interact with it and you get like a countdown of how much time you have left uh, and stuff like that. So, okay, so there's that. And then let's see. So now on my server, I'll have it render the play mode. Uh, and then let's go back to our spectate mode. And you know what? Instead of making this a button, oh, uh -oh something just failed. Um, well, that's interesting. Existing endpoints. So this is the cool thing. Flask in the background is like automatically reloading my server whenever I modify it, which can be kind of a pain because if you're kind of in the middle of editing something, you're going to get some partial file that doesn't compile. Um, let's come back to this because, you know, I, uh, I have a feeling because I've... Uh, modify the file and I haven't really totally finished what I'm editing. Oh, the problem here is that I have two functions named main and they're overriding each other. So let's call this one play and let's call this one spectate. So that'll make it a little more clear. Uh, now my server crashed, so I'm going to have to run it again uh, in a second here. But let's go back and back in my spectate page, you know what, instead of making this a button, let's just make this like a link, a URL. Uh, so let's just say like an H4 uh, and then an a href equals, and then I need to remember the Flask way to do this. Um, let's go back to Flask documentation. So sometimes I remember this stuff, sometimes I don't, uh, but luckily I remember where it's in the documentation. So, uh-oh, my cat, uh, my cat's doing something. She's in the window next door. You might hear her. So, uh, I think there's another cat outside that she, she wants to play with. So we might, might, might have some fun here. Live internets. Okay. So in the docs, in the getting started, I remember there's always a really good, uh, like the quick start here, how you reference things. And there's like a URL for function that I need to call, but I want to make sure I get the syntax of this correct. And so there's, yeah, here we go. So URL for is what I want to use inside of here. And I want to put that inside of my template. So here we go. And they're showing this here. Sorry, I'm just trying to get down to the right page. They've really, they've changed this uh, documentation. And unfortunately, I think they've made the documentation worse because they go into a lot more detail, but this is way too much info for a quick start. Like I'm just trying to see how to render in a template, a URL for a view. Um, I think I remember it, let's try it. Uh, I think this is the syntax if I remember correctly. Uh, oh, and in fact, I'm looking at it right here. Here's the syntax that I want. Uh, so I wanna do, URL for, and this isn't static data. Uh, this is basically the name of the function that I want. So I want to do the URL for my play function here. So I want to put in the URL for play effectively right here. So we'll say that. And then uh, I want to close that. And then let's say, how about just play? We'll make this a big uppercase and then close that H4. Okay, save that. And then now let's go back and reload this. And now I should see, uh, oh, uh-oh. Oh, that's because the server's not running. Remember it crashed, so I wanna restart the server. And then now let's hit this page again. And okay, there we go. So now you can see here's the play URL. And there's no JavaScript that's gonna associate with it. When I click this, this should take me to, uh, so this took me to slash play. Okay, so that's good. So this took me to the play uh, page. And then you can see that's the old code that had the button in there. So let's go back. Now let's change that play template and let's make it a little more clear so that now I'm in play mode. Uh, and then let's pull out this button because I don't have any concept of going from play mode back to spectator mode. Um, I'll show you what I was thinking is that, you know, I'm basically going to have it 
uh, the server is going to send you a countdown of how much longer you have left to play. And when that countdown gets to zero, the web page is going to see an event that says, okay, you're done playing. And then it's going to redirect itself back to the spectate mode. Um, so, you know, we'll come back and we'll implement that. I'm going to rip out the JavaScript that we had before just to, to start fresh. And then let's go back to the spectate mode and let's rip out this JavaScript that we had here because uh, honestly, I don't really even think there's any JavaScript that I need on this web page on the spectate mode. So, you know, what? let's, let's simplify things even more. Let's just rip out all of this code here because yeah, I don't need it. You know, like literally this page is just rendering a video stream. So that's good enough. We'll keep that. Okay. So the play page, now the fun kind of starts, um, because now I need to do that two way communication. So now I need uh, to use that socket IO library and have it, you know, send and receive events with my server uh, for this. So let's just start with some of the basics here. And I mentioned Socket.io before. They've got a nice little quick start here. Uh, like you saw before, I had to pip install that Flask Socket.io uh, tool. And then they have a few little changes here. So in their, their quick start, they kind of show you have to change how you create your Flask application somewhat so that you use Socket.io to run your application so that it can do the right things. Uh, so I'm going to change my server a little bit, and I'm going to actually stop my server from running just so that I can modify it without a lot of things breaking. And if I go back to my server, so inside of here, we're going to see I need to, well, first of all, I need to import Socket.io. So this line right here, I need to add. So if I go back to the code, and let's put it down here, and let's actually put these imports up above, because three years ago, I didn't really realize uh, what the PEP8 style uh, was. Usually you're supposed to put your standard libraries first in alphabetical order, and then you're supposed to put like third-party libraries that you use, so we'll fix that. Uh, okay, so I've imported Socket.io, and then I need to slightly change things. You do have to set up this secret key that's that should be like a random value. It's how it uh, hashes the session that uniquely identifies each connected user. Um, so you do need to do this. So I'm gonna add this down here. Uh, and for now, I'm just going to use secret. This is fine, but this really should be like some random value that you don't let people see. Because if people know this value, they can guess what your session IDs hash to, and then they can use that to replay or like impersonate another session against your web server. So it is kind of important to have this um, as a, a good value. Uh, and then I'm going to slightly change things. So I'm going to do things more in the style. So like here in the old code, I was... Um, telling Flask to load its configuration from the current file. It's kind of confusing and weird. And let's let's just delete this. And like, that's how it was getting into debug mode. I'll show you the, the new way, the current way you're supposed to use Flask. You don't do this stuff. So let, let's keep this code like this. Um, and then now I need to create a socket IO instance based on my application. Oops, we'll go back to the code. So I'm going to create the socket IO app. Um, and then now to run this app, it's slightly different. I want to run the socket.io.run instead of using the app.run down here. So that's what I want to do there. Uh, and then we'll, oops, we'll save this. Okay, so this is my new server code. Now I'm not using socket.io yet. I've just kind of imported it, but socket.io is going to run the actual server here. Uh, and actually here, let's also fix some of these comments. We'll say spectate mode is the default view and then maybe play mode for people playing with the laser okay so we save that 
and now to run this. Okay, so now it's slightly different because I made some modifications here. Uh, and the way that I want to run this, the way you're supposed to run Flask applications, they changed this in the latest version of Flask. Um, you need to set some environment variables and you use this Flask tool. So there's actually a Flask tool that's installed now. And you can see, it actually kind of tells you, here's how you do it. So you have to set a Flask app environment variable to the name of the code that has your Flask application, which in our case is server.py. And then you also need to, if you want, if you want to turn on debug mode, which is how it does like the live reloading of stuff, you want to set this Flask debug equals to one. Now you could export these to just permanently set them in the current session, but I like to set these on the command itself. So you can just set environment variables when you run a command. So if I set Flask app equals server.py, that's going to point it at my server.py file so Flask knows to run this application. And then I can also say Flask debug equals one. So that's going to turn debug mode on. Now I need to use the Flask tool. Uh, and then flask run is what you want to run. But I want to run help because there's a couple options I need to set for this, if I remember correctly. Uh, because by default, it's only going to expose this on localhost port 5000, which actually that's okay now that I remember it. Uh, because, you know, my, my virtual machine is forwarding from, um, you know, my Macintosh. My Macintosh is forwarding to my virtual machine on localhost. So this actually should be okay. So let, let's just try this. We'll just try flask run. And this is going to run our, our server. And so you can see it's running on localhost and then uh, localhost of the virtual machine. But if I go back to my Macintosh and if I go to you know localhost port 5000, then, oh, it didn't work. Uh-oh. So, okay, I really do need to tell it. So uh, unfortunately, this is one annoyance now. Um, you know, if you remember, I deleted the line down here that said host equals 0.0.0.0. That means listen on any uh, host, not just localhost. To do that with Flask, you actually have to give this dash dash host option, uh, which kind of got cut off here. So we'll say yeah, host. Uh, and then what I want to do is 0.0.0.0. .0. So that's what I want to do here. So now it should listen on all the network interfaces. Uh, oh, uh, oh, I messed up the option here. So it is, I had a little too many of uh, characters. Okay, let's try that now. Okay, so now it's listening on port 000. And so, or on, on host 000. Now I should be able to access the web page. And there we go, there it's working. So, so again, that's, this is just how they've changed Flask. You know, you're supposed to use this Flask tool. I've gone over this a few times, but you know, if you've used Flask before and you see this, it's new. Go back to the Flask document, documentation and they explain in a little more detail. It's a little more cumbersome in my opinion, but I think their idea is that they wanted to pull all of that configuration out of your code here and make it more of something that your tool uses. Uh, so that like if you're testing and stuff like that, you know, you don't have to force that into your code. So it makes sense. Just something to get used to uh, when dealing with Flask. Okay, cool. So we've got Socket.io loaded on the server. Let's get it loaded in our web page uh, because there are two parts to Socket.io. There's the server part and then there's the JavaScript part that runs on your web page. And to do that, they kind of mention in the Socket.io quick start here that you need to reference it. So they actually show you can get it from a little CDN uh, on Cloudflare here. So I'm going to copy this and I'm going to add this in my play HTML. I'm going to add this as a script that it loads. 
and I'm just going to have it load from the CDN. Uh, you know, I, I have this static resources folder here, but maybe in the next video we'll come back and clean this up. One thing I did notice, this is actually a much older version, 136 that they're showing in their documentation. So let's just do Cloudflare socket IO CDN, and we can find, here's a link to the current version. So if you go to the CDNJS socket IO, so you can see the current version is 1.4.8 generally a good idea to always use the, the latest versions of stuff you know you get all the latest bug fixes so let's grab this url i'm going to use the minified version just because you know i'm not doing a lot of development with it uh it saves a little bit of space so okay so let's put this url in now for the 1.4.8 version and let's just pull out that https in front of there okay cool so that's going to load up socket io uh, and then now is like a little quick start for socket io if I go back here, uh, they kind of show you, okay, in your web page, you can create a little Socket.io instance. So you use this connect function, and then you attach events to it because Socket.io is all event-based. So when the server sends you data, you can have an event handler that's called, and you can have like named events that say, okay, you know, here is a time left event that says, you know, how many seconds are left for you to play. Uh, and then likewise, when the, the web page sends data down to Socket.io, it can send an event and in your server code, in our Flask code here, we can have a little handler that's listening for those events that the web page is sending down to me, like a target event that says, okay, move the laser to this position. Uh, so that's what we're gonna do here. So let's add to our play.html, you know, just some basics here like they're showing in the documentation. So I'm gonna copy this out, uh, this script that they show. And we're gonna put this into my little script uh, segment down at the bottom here. So this is the code that's called once the web page is loaded. It's using this little jQuery ready function. This makes sure that all the JavaScript and stuff above, uh, stuff above here and even all this JavaScript is loaded ahead of time uh, because web page stuff loads asynchronously. So you have to be careful. It can be a little crazy uh, if you try to use some JavaScript that hasn't been called yet. Okay, so this io.connect, um, basically io is now, because I imported socket io up here, this io object is how you interact with it. And connect here, they're showing like explicitly creating the domain and the port. I noticed that Socket.io seems to do the right thing, where by default, it's gonna use the correct port, at least for the way I'm running it right now. So I'm just gonna delete this stuff to simplify it. Uh, and then it creates a handler here so that when it connects, when it's connected to the server, it's gonna run the code down here. And it, it emits an event, but for now, let's just do a console.log. So, We'll just say connected so that I know that I'm connected to my Socket.io server that's running in my Flask application here. So let's save this and then go back to our cat laser page and let's reload this. Now this is the spectate page. So I click play, that's gonna take me to the play page. And then notice, look, it just said connected in my console right here. So that's good. That means that Socket.io was able to connect to my Flask server here. So that's cool. So like we're starting to, to get some of this communication here and some of this stuff working. So, okay, cool. So the next step, what I'm thinking is, let's get the targeting working so that when I click on the image here, you know, it's gonna figure out where I'm clicking and then send a target message down to my Raspberry Pi and then in my, or down to my uh, cloud server rather, sorry. And then my cloud server will pick that up as a socket IO event and then use MQTT to send an event to my Raspberry Pi. Uh, so to do this, I want to create an event that I listen to on my socket IO server 
uh, or my, my Flask server that's using Socket.io. And if I go back to the Flask Socket.io documentation, they show you this is how you set up an event handler. You do this Socket.io on, uh, and you can do a lot of different things. You can, this generic message is how you can just listen for, like you can send a string as a message. You know, that message might be like, um, you know, I don't know, uh, play time, like you're, you're finished playing or something like that. Um, or you can have a named event, which is what this syntax looks like, where you just have a custom event, like this is a laser target event. And that event can actually have multiple parameters associated with it. Like you can send a chunk of JSON encoded data that it will parse out and give you uh, some of those options. Oh, that's my, uh, if you hear some beeping in the background, I, I uh, brewed a pot of coffee because you know, hey, this is a long internet stream, so might, might need something here. But anyways, so what I'm gonna do is use this named event. And so uh, what you need to do, and it's very similar to the way Flask works, which is what I really like about this Flask socket IO um, extension. So, you know, when you create a route to render a page in Flask, you use this app.route. When you have an event you wanna to listen to on your server from socket IO, you use this socket IO.on and you give the name of your event. And so let's make a target event. So this is just gonna be sent whenever the, uh, the, the laser, uh, whenever you click somewhere on here to target you know, where the laser should go. Um, so, okay, so we'll have a target event that we receive. Now it's gonna take um, some data and I'm just gonna call this message instead of JSON. And for now, let's just have it print out the message that it received. So they're, they're already kind of doing that. So we'll just say um, you know, target, and then let's do a string format, and we'll just print out the message that we received here. So you know this isn't gonna do anything yet, but whenever I send a target message from Socket.io, it should uh, print out the message that we received here. Okay, so that's cool. Now let's go back to our play page and let's put in some code so that when I click on the image, it's gonna send a target event here. Um, and oh, you can see my server just kind of restarted here. Uh, and so that's why you see some of these failures and stuff. Uh, it's a little annoying as you kind of developing this as it's running, you know, you get in these weird half states. Anyways, let's go back to the original cat laser code and I'm gonna pull out the JavaScript that I had for that. So let me open up uh, real fast that cat laser code. Well, actually I already have it open. Let's go back to this. So this is on my Raspberry Pi. And if I go back to the laser server and the main.html, so this was all that original JavaScript code. It's been a while since I looked at this, so I'm gonna have to remember what I did here. So I remember uh, that I had yeah, this is the part here. So I, I have that little calibration layer, which is a div that's on top of the image source or the, the, the video stream. And then whenever you click that, uh, so this I put a click handler on that, I basically then can do some logic here. And I, I figure out like, where are you within this div? Uh, so I'm gonna need this code. So I'm gonna copy that and we're gonna put that in my play page here. And I'll just put this below, so it's gonna uh, set up this event handler. Now I'm gonna need this calibrate layer back because remember I deleted it before. So let's grab that from here. So if I go up here, yep, there's my calibrate layer. So let's copy that out and let's put that back. And then if I remember correctly, I had to resize it when it was loaded. Um, or maybe I didn't, so. Um, oh yeah, here we do, Here, here's what happened here. So. 
Once the video loads, I need to resize that calibrate div so that when it's clicked, you know, it's the exact same size as my video here. Um, so I'm just gonna copy out the code I had before for that. And let's just make this uh, the same. So let's put that above here. And let's just fix some of this spacing there. Okay, so now it's gonna grab the video. And so my video image, this is grabbing the video element. So it looks at my video div here, grabs the first image that it sees, which is gonna be my video stream. Uh, and then this is, if I remember correctly, using uh, the promises in jQuery. Uh, so that I, I, this was three years ago, I wasn't as familiar with JavaScript, which is not the wrong way to do it, but I don't know, it seems it's a little verbose. Uh, so I wait a second and I call this video load resolve, which I don't even remember. Uh, oh, I guess, oh yeah, right. Okay, so basically the page is gonna load. It's gonna wait either for the image to load or for one second to elapse. And after a second, it just assumes the video must have loaded. Because I think if I remember correctly, I noticed bugs were like, if you would reload the page, sometimes this video.load event wouldn't fire. Uh, oh, and actually here, I mentioned it here. I found this fallback is necessary with Chrome because it never fires the load event for an MJPEG image. So basically, I'm gonna keep the code the same. You know, me three years ago went through a lot of pain to figure this out. So me today is gonna hopefully solve or keep myself from hitting that pain again. Uh, and then finally, so this when this resolve is called, either because the image has loaded or a second has elapsed, then the part of this promise is gonna fire with this done callback. And so and then I call this calibration.setup. And so now I should go back and see what that was in my code. So I'm calling calibration.setup. What did I do here? Um, oh, so that was from my calibrate.js. So if I go back into that file, I must have defined a function. So let's go into my JS here. Like I said, I, I didn't do this ahead of time, so I'm kind of flying blind here. So I have, these are the functions that it exposes, and I'm sure that I have an update calibrate. Uh, so here's the setup function. Here's is calibrating. Now let's go back. What did I have in here? I had the calibration, oh, so it's the setup that I'm calling, okay. So let's go back to that. Um, and if I double click that, there we go, that opens, that keeps it open. So if I go back here and let's double click that to keep that open. Uh, okay, so now it's my setup function and I wanna see what that does because I remember I had to resize that image. Uh, okay, so this is going to do all kinds of fancy stuff. It uses this raphael.js to draw that targeting space over the image. I'm not gonna do any of that right now. Um, you know, I literally just want to resize this thing so that it gets the right um, dimensions. So let's see, so, all right, so this sets up the calibration circle targets. Uh, let's see, my calibrate layer. All right, so let me just read what this thing's doing again. So I'm creating a canvas and I get my calibration data. And then once I have that calibration data, I figure out where I need to render these things. And then I create a bunch of circles and I add them onto there. And then I believe that's all that I'm doing here. Um, oh, start calibration status. So then I call that function. So let's see what I did up above here. 
Okay, so now I clear click handlers. I put you in a default state. I'm just trying to see if I set the size of that div anywhere. I'm trying to remember where I did that in this code, which I don't really see where I was doing that. So let's let's go back and let's do this another way. So I sent the width and the height in. Let's see where I was using this. Oh, I see what's happening here. So I'm adding a canvas to that div, which I think will implicitly resize it to the size that I had um, before here. So you know what? I'm going to have to change this a little bit. Okay, so this is okay. This is fine. Uh, we're just going to have to get a little bit fancier here. So let's do that in our code here. So um, I'm still loading raphael.js. So that's good. So I still have it here. Uh, and now instead of calling this function, because I don't have this yet, uh, what I'm going to do, I'm going to just do the bare bones of creating that div. Uh, or of that canvas object. So let's grab this canvas and create this raphael.js uh, thing. And so now for its ID, I need to make sure I get that. So let's, uh, oh, I've already got that ahead of time. So let's go back here. And yeah, the ID of this is called calibrate layer. And then the width and the height are right here. So I'm just gonna copy these out. So we'll paste those in and then my video height copy that. Okay, so there's my width and height. So that creates a canvas. Now I know I need to add that canvas to my calibrate layer div, or maybe Raphael does that for me. So let's just see if there's anything else in here. So here I'm getting this calibration data. I don't need to do any of this because I, you know, I haven't gotten to this yet. Basically this asks the server, where should those circles be rendered? But I'm not going to implement any of that in my uh, cloud server yet. So I'm going to skip all this stuff. Um, I think this is probably enough. So this is just going to create this Raphael canvas inside of this div, this calibrate layer, which I think is good enough to, to resize it. And in fact, there's probably way easier ways to resize that div, but I'm just going to leave it like this. You know, I, I knew this worked for the cat laser, so I'm not going to mess with it. Okay, so that should be enough now that my click handler here, I can do something. So instead of, you know, previously it was calling this little, it made a put request against this slash target API. We're not gonna do that. Remember, we're gonna use socket IO. But for now, let's just console.log uh, and let's just say target clicked for now. Um, and then how about let's just put the, uh, offsets of like, you know, your X and the, this was the X pixel and the Y pixel that, that you clicked uh, on the the, uh, the canvas that was there. So let's put these in. So I should hopefully see when I click this that I'm getting uh, different pixel locations. So, okay. So this is my click handler for that calibrate layer. The calibrate layer is going to have a canvas created that's exactly the same size as the video. Uh, and that's all going to be uh, on, you know, basically this calibrate layer sits on top of that video image effectively. So that's how uh, I was able to detect when you click on the image uh, effectively for this. So, and there might be easier ways to do this. Like I said, I wrote this JavaScript three years ago and I wasn't as familiar with this stuff. Okay, so I saved that. Uh, I'm just gonna cancel my server and I'm gonna restart my server just to make sure that it loads up the latest code. And now let's go back and let's access my web page. So I just hit the play page and we're connected. That's good. Now when I click on here, hopefully in theory, we see something. Hey, look at this, target clicked, position 320-190. So I click over here, position 602. And you can tell this is gonna go all the way up to 640 
you know, that's like the width of this image. And then if I go back here, you know, position 12, and then if I go way down here, it's gonna go down to position 475. So this is good. So I've got some JavaScript running so that when I click on this image, it knows the location I clicked and I'll be able to go back and send that to my, uh, my server here. So, okay, so I clicked my target. Now remember, I went in, in my server, I added this handler for this target event with Socket.io. And in fact, let's rename this message or this uh, function, we'll call this target. Um, okay, so now in theory, if I go back to my play page, I can use Socket.io to send that target message. And so the way you do that, you wanna use socket.send because it's gonna use this socket object right here. And this is how you send from the web page down to your server. I need to give it the name of the event. So that's gonna be target. And then I need to give it some data to send. Uh, and so it's uh, JSON encoded data, which is really just a dictionary or an object. So I'm gonna give it an X uh, attribute, which is my X offset right here. And then I'm gonna give it a Y uh, pixel location, which is my Y offset here. So we'll save that. And in theory, this should do everything I need. So it's gonna send an event named target and my server has an event handler that's listening for that target event and it knows that it's going to get some chunk of json and socket.io uh, flask is actually going to just automatically do that json parsing for me so i should get a python dictionary back that looks exactly like the uh, javascript dictionary that i sent here that's the cool thing about socket.io is that you know, it does all this conversion and, you know, between like JavaScript and Python for you. Uh, the, both Socket.io and the Flask Socket.io extension. So really powerful and cool to use those things. I'm going to cancel the server and then I'm going to run it again. And just to make sure that I load up the latest version of it. And then let's go back to our cat laser and we'll reload this. So now I click target and let's see what happened here. So I see it did a post. Um, I don't see that it sent, uh, that, it, that it fired my event though. So like I'm clicking around here, you know, I should be seeing it printing out uh, that it, you know, that it received this, uh, this event here, this, uh, you know, that I, that I received this targeting on here. So, okay, so something's wrong. So let's simplify this. Let's, instead of um, sending a message with this, you know, let's, let's not send any parameters for this. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I think I, I think I know my bug here. Uh, if I go back here, yeah, sorry. I, I made a mistake before. So let's go back and we're going to put back what I had before uh, in, in my socket server. There's a distinction, unfortunately. Uh, one confusing thing about Socket.io, uh, there is a difference between sending and emitting. So there are two different functions. Uh, there is, so you can see here I'm using the send function. Send can only send a message. It's not a named event. If I wanted to receive this message in my server, I actually have to have a socket.io on message handler, and it's gonna receive that message, and the value of that message should be send. And in fact, let's save this, and let's see what happens. Uh, okay, so I just restarted my server. Um, in theory, I should be able to access this. So now I hit this page, and I'm gonna click target, and oh, it's just something exploded. Um, oh, so, you know, here's the problem. Uh, it's trying to send some data down to me. So if I go back to my page here, uh, I'm just gonna comment out the rest of this. So, you know, I'm gonna do that send function and I'm just gonna send the value target. 
Uh, and then remember, in my server, I have a message listener that should just print out that message. So let's restart the server. Uh, and so the point I'm trying to get across is I'll show you the difference between send and emit. Because it, as you can see, it tripped me up and it's kind of confusing. I don't know why they have two different versions of this. Um, but anyway, so here we'll load up the page and now I click these things. Uh, and so you can see, you know, I fired these target events. And then down here, target, target. So you can see each time I clicked, it printed out target and then the value of that message. Because when you use socket.send, if you have a message handler, and it has to be message, this is the only thing it will listen for, then it's gonna receive the value that you sent. Now, I don't wanna do that because I wanna send a named event. So, you know, I want an event called target that has some extra parameters associated with it. Uh, and so, you know, I'll change this to listen to target, but now I have to change how I send this. So instead of using send, I wanna use socket.emit and that will send a named event where the name of the event is target. And now I need to actually send in the extra parameters. So, you know, I'm gonna pass a little dictionary that has the X and the Y offset here. So, you know, just, just pretend that I uh, meant to do this mistake so, so that I could explain this point um, in more detail. Okay, so I saved everything. And now in theory, oh, I need to save the server again. So we'll save that. Now in theory, when I run the app, we can go back to it and let's see. Uh, so it's running and we'll reload this and we're connected and now I target things and uh, I think it's working. So check this out. Target XY, you know, 315, 371, 344, 409. If I go back here, 409, 344. So those are the values I need. Perfect. So that's pretty cool. I've got, you know, fast two-way communication between my web page here. You know, I'm clicking on things. And when this clicks, it doesn't have to go create like a new connection. It's not making a put request. You know, it's already connected to uh, my server here and it's, it's just sending a message that says, hey, here's a socket IO target event. Here's some parameters for it. Uh, and then it's up to my server now to process this and, and to deal with it. So, okay, let's start adding that code now. So now I need my server to send a message to an MQTT broker. So let's go back to the Raspberry Pi code and let's go back to that laser driver because remember the laser driver connects to the MQTT broker and uh, listens for messages. And in this case, now I just wanna send messages, but it's kind of similar. And actually maybe I don't even need to use the laser broker code. Let's go to uh, the Paho MQTT Python client. Uh, and so that's what I'm gonna use in my server code here to do this. And so I'm gonna stop the server. I do need to do another pip install. So I need to sudo pip3 install paho-mqtt. So this is going to um, install the uh, Paho MQTT library, which is kind of the first step of using it. So we'll let this do its thing here. Okay, so it just installed it. Now this is the uh, kind of main page for this and it gives you a little quick start. So you can import this client, you can connect to a broker, and then, excuse me, you can start sending events and things. Um, so let's do that. Now there are a couple things, there actually is a simpler model that Paho has where you can actually just in one function call fire off an event, which is really what I wanna do here. You know, I, I don't necessarily have to stay connected to the MQTT server right now. It's really just my web server that needs to just fire off an event and it's not listening for any MQTT messages right now. So, you know, let's let's do this simpler version, which 
I remember they buried it way down in their documentation here. So we have to go and find this thing again. Yeah, here we go. The global helper functions. These things are a lot simpler uh, where you can publish messages just in one function call and you give like the server that you want to talk to and that type of stuff. Uh, very similar to that mosquito pub command that I ran earlier. So let's go in and let's use this. And I wish that they gave it. Oh, here's the example. So this is the code that I need to have. So I need to import Paho. So let's do that. So I'm in my server code here. So let's import the Paho publish. And then I need to just call this publish uh, single. So this is going to publish a single event or a single MQTT message. Uh, so let's do that. So now I'll have it still print out that, you know, this is where you targeted. Uh, and now let's actually say, okay, so let's call that publish and I need to give it the topic that I'm going to publish on. And remember from the, the laser driver code, you know, it's listening under this cat laser target topic. So I want to make sure I use the same value here. So let's add that as my topic. And then the payload, I need to send the X and the Y coordinates. So I'm just going to string format these because remember, it expects a comma in between these. And so if I format these and then in this message, that's just a Python dictionary, like you could see right here, you know, this is just printing out. This is a Python dictionary that has an X and a Y attribute inside of it. So I can just pull those out from my message. So we'll say message X and then message Y. So it's going to grab those values and put them into a comma separated uh, value there. And then the host name to connect to, this is actually just going to be localhost because that's the, uh, the MQTT's broker is running on the same machine as this web server here. So this is fine. You know, I don't need to do anything fancy um, inside of here, like to connect to another machine or something like that. So, and I think by default it uses localhost. Um, so you know, but it can't hurt to specify it in here. So, okay, so let's save that. Now, in theory, this should start firing off uh, MQTT messages and my Pi is all set up. It's listening and ready to go. It's connected to my broker. So let's see, this is a, this is a big test for this. So let's run our, our Flask server again. And okay, there we go. So it's running and let's reconnect. And now when I click, uh, okay, it didn't move. So, okay, something might be wrong here. So. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing, I'm at least seeing that I'm getting the target printout here. So, okay, let's make sure that everything is working in my server code. So if I go back here, my server.py, uh, and let's see, okay, so something might be wrong. So let's just print out, let's make sure that I'm getting past this uh, publish, you know, we, we'll say published message, something like that. And okay, so just detect that change. And now let's go back and let's rerun this and let's see what happens. So I click around here and interesting, it's not coming back and actually getting down to this published message. Just to make sure something's not wrong, I'm going to cancel the server and restart it uh, because, you know, there might be something going on in the background here. Okay, so it's running and now let's retry this. I have a suspicion. I think I know kind of what's wrong here. Um, okay, so there's that. Oh, okay, so it did. All right, so here we go. So it did get to this published message, but for some reason it's not actually, uh, you know, maybe sending the message. So 
So, okay, so something might be wrong. Let's listen to my MQTT server, my broker, and let's see what it's actually receiving. Like, let's see if it's actually getting this message. And it really, if I go to my Raspberry Pi, oh, this is why it's not working. I don't have my driver running on the Raspberry Pi. I should have, I forgot about that. So let's run the driver on the, because remember the, the laser driver is what's listening for these MQTT messages. Okay, maybe it was working all along. So let's see, I'm gonna click this. Hey, look, it just moved. So, okay, uh, you know, it's always check the simple things first before you start diving into stuff. And you can see it received that message. So cat laser, it received 424, 292 as the positions. And if I look here, 424, 292, that was the position I clicked. And so that's pretty cool. And you can see like, you know, as I'm clicking on here, like this is where the laser is. You're seeing this in the live video. You know, this, this is the live video. You can actually see the laser here. So if I, you know, click there, it's like kind of moving around. Um, so this is pretty cool. Like this is pretty close to, to working. Now, the awesome thing is watch this. You know, if I copy this and if I open a new tab, I can access this again. It's loaded it up and look at this. This web page is controlling it. This web page is still controlling it. It's all exactly the same because each of these pages has a separate connection to my server using socket IO. And each of these pages is listening for this click and then it's firing off that event that says, okay, you know, go target this position for this, uh, this user here. So, you know, I'm clicking around and then on this page, I'm doing the exact same thing and it's all working. Now, in practice, I'm not really gonna want this to happen. Like I'm gonna want my server to have a concept of, you know, only one user can play at a time. Um, but I think I'm gonna wrap up this stream. It's, you know, about almost an hour and 30 minutes, which, you know, I try and keep these things at most that amount of time. So I think that's all I'm gonna show in this video. So in the next video, for sure, we're gonna get to, you know, doing this kind of waiting in line or queue system. So, you know, the way I want things to work, you know, a user is gonna access the spectate page right here, which by the way, you can view this right now. And if I, uh, and actually here, let's, uh, Let's just show how this is actually really showing both of these things at once. So if I put this page over here, and if I go back to this page, so you know, on the left-hand side, I've got the spectator mode, which I can click all I want right here, and it's not doing anything because I don't have any JavaScript here that's not listening for you know click events. Uh, but then on my play page, you know, I can move this over and notice, like you know, this video stream—it's the same stream. We're seeing everything, but in play mode, you know, I can click on here and it's targeting the the laser. And again, all this targeting, it's, you know, the way it's working, I click on my page, that sends an event to my server using Socket.io, which is using like WebSockets and all kinds of fun advanced technology that you don't need to know about. And then my server gets that event and it uses MQTT to push a message down to my Raspberry Pi. And then my Raspberry Pi receives that message and says, okay, the user clicked, you know, this location on the screen, I'm gonna map it to these servo positions and move the servo and boom, it's updated and it's there and it's ready to go. And this is, you know, the big thing that I'm trying to get out with this web series is that this is pretty scalable now. So like I've got two browser tabs open, you know, each of these is just grabbing this video stream from my little virtual machine. It's not going from the Raspberry Pi directly. Uh, you know, I can start play mode on this one and it's gonna work, you know, on both of these. So I can click here and start targeting around or I can go here and start targeting around. So I've got multiple users. This is really cool. Like multiple people interacting with hardware on the Raspberry Pi here using like this two-way socket IO and MQTT. This is a, starting to shape up into a pretty advanced kind of cool thing. So, okay, so that's where I'm gonna leave it in this video. 
in the next video then we're going to come back because the way I want things to work, you know, you're going to access this spectate page. You're going to click play and you might not necessarily get into the play mode immediately. Um, you know, you're going to have to wait because I only want one person to play at a time. And I'm going to identify people probably based on their IP address. Like I, I don't want to add like a login system and all that complexity. So, you know, just based on your IP address, it's going to put you in line. And I want the play page to have maybe like a countdown of like, you know, you are 10th in line. So you know, kind of like, okay, am I going to play now? Am I going to play now? Uh, and I want that to update in real time. Like as users move out of line, you know, I'm going to use Socket.io. I'm going to push events down to the play page that say, okay, get ready. You know, you're five from the top. Uh, pretty soon you're going to play. And then when you're ready to play, you know, it's going to tell you, okay, now's your chance to play. And it's going to start letting you click on here and start sending these target events. Now I'm going to have to be smart and my server is going to have to know that it's only going to allow target events from the current person that's playing, like the top of the queue, because someone could construct these target events and try to, you know, take over the cat laser. But all that logic can live in my server. It's fine. Um, you know, I'll show you how we can get to that. So that's what we'll do in the next video. You know, we're gonna actually start to make this something that multiple users can, uh, you know, have some business logic around, or at least some, you know, some some real rules around how they can play with this. But right now, this is pretty cool. Like, I've got multiple cat. You know, if I wanted the chaos of the internet of anyone accessing my cat laser, I could throw this onto an AWS page right now, and people could go, and anyone could go and start controlling my cat laser. So. You know, maybe show and tell next week, you know, maybe, maybe I might try that. Uh, so maybe keep your eyes peeled. There might be uh, some fun announcements for that. Okay, anyways, I'm gonna wrap this up. So let's go back to kind of the main headshot view. And again, this might glitch out a little bit. Um, I noticed my uh, my CPU usage is, um, oh wow, my CPU usage is 100%. So let's close out these tabs. Um, Hopefully the, uh, there we go, my CPU usage is better. Uh, apologies if in the last like few minutes or so, if it was uh, glitching out and if you were seeing like drop frames, I just noticed my CPU usage was really high. Um, I think because of these web pages, which that's unfortunate. I'll have to figure that out for the next time I stream. Uh, but anyways, those, and you might notice some glitches right now. Uh, it looks like my CPU usage is still a little bit high. It's always the fun thing of live streaming. Uh, but we'll see. Hopefully when this goes up on YouTube, it won't be uh, too glitchy and bad for this. Anyways, though, this is the end of the stream. Uh, it's part four of the Raspberry Pi Cat Laser 2.0 series. Like I said, we went through, we showed how to use Socket.io uh, to build a two-way real-time app where you can target the cat laser. And the cool thing is like multiple users can hit this page and independently target the cat laser. The next video, we're gonna see how we can build like a little more business logic behind this so that only one player or one person can play with the cat laser at a time and you'll wait in line and you'll have like a time limit, you know, like 30 seconds or so to play with the cat laser. So this is Tony from Adafruit. Uh, subscribe to youtube.com slash Adafruit. You can see this video and all kinds of other fun videos up there. Uh, I like to stream also on twitch.tv slash Adafruit. I stream this stuff live and you can watch this video and all kinds of other fun live streams. I like to do a couple live streams a week. On Mondays, I do a quick look at interesting Raspberry Pi software. This Monday, I'm thinking I'm gonna look at something cool that uh, Marty, one of the uh, developers at uh, Adafruit, was telling me about. Basically, uh, there is a neat thing, the Tor hidden service that uses the, the onion routing network. But it's a really cool way to access services on your Raspberry Pi 
without doing all this weird port forwarding network stuff. So I'm gonna might check that out on Monday. Uh, and then Fridays, I like to do an in-depth stream like this one, the Raspberry Pi Cat Laser series. So, you know, we're kind of in the home stretch of this. We're, we're getting to the point where we've taken the cat laser to the cloud. Uh, so hopefully this will be fun and, and tune in next week to, uh, to check out the, the thrilling conclusion, hopefully, to the cat laser project. So until then, this is Tony from Adafruit. Like, comment, subscribe, you know, let us know that you like these videos and we'll keep doing them and we'll keep making great content. Uh, until then, Tony from Adafruit, so I'll see you guys later.